This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the Hill Country Authors Podcast. Not only is the Texas Hill Country the most beautiful place in Texas, but it also has some of the best writers in Texas. On this podcast series, I'm going to explore writers in literally all genres of writing, both fiction and nonfiction. I hope you'll join me in this journey. Today we have Kimberly Fish talking about writing about the town of comfort. Everyone, this is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I am thrilled today to have with me Kimberly Fish. She is our first author from Comfort. So that makes you a very uh, unique and special guest. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure to chat with fellow authors and readers, and I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with your followers. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your uh, professional background and what led to a career in writing? Oh, I'm happy to do that. Um, like many writers, you don't walk right into the store, right? You take a circuitous route. But uh, I actually have a degree in filmmaking and then worked in um, multimedia production for several years. And then uh, through a series of events, ended up just kind of working into a freelancing role. And I married my husband about um, 34 years ago. We took off to Europe. And so I was able to do some freelance working there and collected a lot of interesting research material. I mean, we were there when the wall came down between East and West Germany and even sent home chunks of the wall that year for Christmas. So really had a lot of uh, rich uh, life story over there. And then the U.S. Army transferred us to San Antonio, Texas, where I landed in the heart of the Texas Hill Country, right there in all that German history, and I couldn't ignore it. So um, I just kind of dug in and cultivated a lot of that research that I'd already um, developed into learning more about the Texas Hill Country, their very unique story. And um, over the course of time, I was able to develop that into a series of novels. Now, that makes it sound way too easy, and it really wasn't. Uh, but that's the nutshell of it. And um, I don't know how much your listeners really want to hear all the details, but it was um, kind of an accidental historical moment that led to me publishing my first book, uh, which ultimately led to the books um, set in comfort. Well, the great thing about having your own podcast is you get to listen to whatever you want and you get to ask the <laughs> questions that you want. And I would love to hear how you were able to either by happenstance hook, nook, or crook sort of put all those disparate threads together to create your first book. Oh, well, thank you. Let's, let's indulge that for just a moment. So as a freelance writer, um, I'm often hired to write everything from speeches to website material to promotional materials. And uh, several years ago, I was hired to write the 100 year history for Longview, Texas. And Longview, Texas is uh, a town up in East Texas. It sits right on top of the East Texas oil field and had a crazy series of events happen in the 1930s as a result of oil being discovered. And um, during that time period, um, we were also recovering from World War I, getting ready to go into World War II. And it would seem that across the entire state of Texas, a lot of young entrepreneurs, chambers, farmers were trying to figure out a way to grab a little bit of that war initiative that was coming down the pike. 
I mean, Roosevelt was really clear. He was not interested in leading the United States into war, but there were signs that we were going to be involved even on an ancillary way pretty early on. So a lot of the Texas chambers were figuring out ways they could pitch ideas to be involved in these war projects. And, you know, they're, they're places like Boeing and Texas Instruments that really, you know, ended up growing out of all of that. But in East Texas, we had the one resource that uh, the allies needed, and that was oil. Uh, because at the time when um, the allies were fighting the Axis, the oil supplies had been cut off. Churchill calls Roosevelt, says, well, you've got to help us. Roosevelt says, I'm not getting involved, but I can help maybe send you some oil. And they figure out a, a war project that changed world history because that East Texas oil field went on to supply the vast majority of oil that fueled the Allies' war effort in World War II. And it all started in Longview, Texas. So when I'm researching the Chamber of Commerce's 100-year history and I stumble on this war-winning story, I, I just can't let that go. <laughs> so I, I tucked that aside into some notes, ended up doing some um, efforts on my own. I was a, uh, very involved in community development, even ran for office. And when uh, the campaign trail did not go my way and I you know, kind of got to the end of that race and realized, okay, I'm clearly not going into public office. What can I do to kind of refigure out what, what I am supposed to do? I wanted to um, dig into my happy place, which is writing. And so I took that story of the Big Inch Pipeline project that went on to do such phenomenal things for World War II. And as a cathartic exercise, I wrote a piece of historical fiction, recreating what Longview, Texas looked like in the 1940s on the height of their oil wealth, you know, the winds of war, Germans down in the uh, Houston shipping channel, sinking oil tankers and all of that, and try to recreate that entire experience. And so I wrote it, had it edited, published it myself, and released it in time for the World War II uh, anniversaries that were happening. And the crazy thing is that book did really well, kind of took off and it allowed me um, just enough crazy encouragement to think, huh, well, that was fun. It worked. I could do it again. So I wrote another historical fiction following up that same story about another World War II project that was set here in East Texas. And then with the success of that, I returned to some novels that I had written all those years ago in the Texas Hill Country and um, retooled them and then released them and have enjoyed watching all those novels go off in the very many ways that they have and um, allowed me to kind of become a full-time writer. When did you guys move to Centerpoint? Well, I, I don't mean, live comfort, in Centerpoint and, and I don't live in Comfort. I actually live in Longview, Texas and okay. the reason why I write uh, stories that are set in Comfort, Texas, is because um, many years ago when my husband was stationed at Fort Sam, I used to spend a lot of time going out into the Texas Hill Country. And of all of those Hill Country towns that had redeveloped um, and, you know, celebrated their German roots, you know, New Braunfels, Seguin, New Braun uh, Fredericksburg and Kerrville, 
Comfort was the one town that refused to get on board. As a matter of fact, they were perfectly happy to be undiscovered. Uh, and I just thought that was a really fascinating conundrum for a town that had so much to offer that the settlers had named it Comfort, which in German is the word Gemütlichkeit, which is kind of their way of saying it could not be more perfect. And if you've been to Comfort and if you've explored that area around the Guadalupe, you know that it is a pristine area. And I can completely understand why the settlers chose that neck of the woods. What I could not understand was why they didn't want to see it redeveloped. So. so for those who have never been to Comfort, I live west of Kerrville. And as you drive from Kerrville to Comfort, the hill country breaks into a gorgeous, more or less flat land that is perfect for agriculture. And as you, it, it's not a mountain in Kerrville by any stretch of the imagination but you can still see the difference in topography. And that's one of the things I love about the hill country is every 10 or 15 miles, it's a different topography. And just that drive to comfort, you can see exactly what you said and what those German settlers saw was a valley between two ranges of hills, not mountains, mm -hmm. but uh, spring fed by the Guadalupe. So there was water uh, and the ability to, to raise grain. <laughs> and cattle and other products. So oh, uh, yeah. you're spot on. It was uh, it was really a fascinating dive for me because having just moved from Germany to land in the in the San Antonio area and then discover all this rich cultural heritage there in the hill country, which was a surprise to me because I'm not a native Texan. So this all came as, as something of a shock. But it did drive me into local libraries. Um, I spent some time in the Historical Museum there in Comfort. I went and spent time um, at UT, the LBJ uh, library there. I even spent time up in, at Baylor University. They have a fantastic uh, Texas museum there as well. Just to find out what this story was of these German settlers and how they had the perseverance to um, carry on and, and settle and lay claim to this area. And as you know, because you live in that area, that the hill country was not void of people. I mean, there were native uh, Indians, there were Mexicans that lived in that area. Um, and then back in the, about the mid 1800s, uh, a German prince just arbitrarily decided he was gonna give out land packets to the people that were willing to leave Germany and discover this new territory in the United States. Well, it's Texas at the time. And actually it wasn't even Texas yet. <laughs> and they did it, they left and they'd been promised a bill of goods that did not come true, but they persevered anyway and they settled in and, and they left a pretty significant mark on Texas history. Do you, uh, in your uh, time of living in Germany, did you find that Germans understand the impact that their forebears had on the state of Texas? And do they understand the tradition of immigration, specifically the German immigration to Texas and really what that meant? No, at least not in the round of people that we met. Um, as a matter of fact, I think they would have been shocked to discover that there was such a strong cultural heritage still thriving in the state of Texas uh, after all these years. And uh, we've had an occasion to host uh, German exchange students and that sort of thing. So we have shared that story and 
but I don't think they know. And um, it's certainly not part of the common, you know, vernacular of, of stories when they talk about American history um, in Europe. And I think that's what's so surprising is even most Texans don't realize that there's still such a strong German influence. And, and here's a little interesting nugget that I discovered when I was doing this research for the World War II um, war initiatives is the conflict that our engagement with the Germans in Europe put on those German families in South Texas. Because as soon as we engaged in war with Europe, all of a sudden, all those German families became um, the focus of some real suspicion as to where their lo loyalties lie. And it, I think to that point, there probably used to have been a lot of strong German language and, and you know, cultural things that sort of got washed away um, in light of all that persecution that they were feeling as, as a result of the World War II issues. But um, it's, still, it's still pretty strong <laughs> and it's delightful. And um, let me take German story. immigration in a very different direction because I grew up in Bryan and Brazos County was the home to a German POW camp mm -hmm. in World War II. Uh, have you explored that? part yes. of German immigration, because even in my little town, there were kids whose fathers had fallen in love with Texas, not only for Texas the land, but Texas the opportunity. And they, well, when given the opportunity to return to Germany, said, no, we're staying here. Now, they may well, have fallen so, in love with a girl, but they <laughs> stayed. So I did do some serious research into this, because in my second novel that I wrote that's set in Longview, Texas, related to the World War II initiatives, it, speci it specifically deals with a U.S. Army medical hospital that was here during those years. And in doing some research, I discovered that there were German POWs that um, were considered trustees that were allowed to work at this military hospital in the um, role of interns. You know, they were emptying the bedpans and that sort of thing. But that that group had been a, a subset of the very large German BOW camp that was in Smith County, where they actually had the hardcore Nazis um, imprisoned. Because uh, my understanding of the history of that time is that when the German troops were captured in North Africa or Southern Europe or even Northern Europe, and they were brought to the United States into these POW camps, they tried to find them on a parallel line for weather <laughs> so that they wouldn't have to replace their uniforms with you know, coats or so forth and so on. So Texas, by nature of the fact that it was in the very middle of the country uh, and almost impossible to escape without being noticed, became a, a hotbed for these POW camps. In addition to the fact that a lot of the farmers and chambers were lobbying to get POW camps because there's their workers for their farms had been drafted to war and they needed help to produce the agriculture that is in the area around Bryan and in the area up here around East Texas. So a lot of those German POWs kind of got farmed out to do day labor work. And you're right. Many of them liked it. They were not um, true Nazis, but they were part of the, the whole German army. 
And I asked that question. I was at the U.S. Army Medical Museum in San Antonio doing research on this Harmon General Hospital. And I asked the question, how many POWs did they think just sort of either escaped or disappeared or when it was at the end of the war and they were being shipped back to Germany, just opted not to go. And the response that I was given was, well, that legally they had to leave because that was part of the, you know, the treaty process is that all the POWs got, um, you know, they had to leave our country, but if they just didn't do that, or if they weren't all head counted for, you know, they weren't going to send anybody back to go find them. So if any of the German POWs escaped, they quickly tried to assimilate into the Texas culture, changed their names, invented a history, and just tried to act native. So in the Hill Country, uh, the German tradition was unique in a couple of ways, particularly around the early immigrants. Number one, they were what we would call free thinkers. they were Christian largely, um, but uh, as free thinkers would indicate, a little bit different and more open <laughs> uh, in their thinking about Christianity, particularly in mid 19th century. But they were also, uh, that was sort of the first wave. But after the Civil War, they were largely the bankers who financed the cattle drives uh, from the ranches in South Texas up to. Um, Oklahoma and then into Kansas. So they became sort of the bankers. And one of the founding fathers of Kerrville uh, came from Alsace-Lorraine. And so that tradition, both commercial and actually sort of intellectual, also permeated this part of Texas as well. Is that something that you've uh, sort of explored as well? I have. As a matter of fact, one of the interesting things I like to tell people when I'm describing these various groups of Germans that migrated to Texas. I mean, the fact that they survived the, the ships, they got to Galveston, they somehow you know, were able to overcome the mosquitoes and the heat and uh, the Indians and the language barriers. And then they get out to the hell country, which is they'd been promised that it would look like their home country and it looked nothing like their home country. Um, but they, they sort of, found their places and they settled. The group that came to comfort was what I like to call kind of a hippie segment for their day. Because as you're correct in saying, so many of the Germans that immigrated to the area were deeply religious. The group that settled in comfort were a little bit, um, I'm not going to say an anarchist, but They were very much of the persuasion that they wanted to be left alone. They did not want uh, government oversight. They didn't want religious oversight. As a matter of fact, it was several years before Lutheran church was even established in the area. Um, They they just wanted to, to blend in and be ignored. And even when the Civil War um, was a factor and so much of Texas was responding uh, to the Civil War initiatives by sending their young men and, you know, off to fight for the uh, Confederacy, the folks of comfort so uh, disagreed with that initiative that they actually sent a group of young men to go fight for the Union. And much to their great sorrow, that troop was massacred by Confederate sympathizers. 
And to this day, there's a monument in this middle of comfort honoring those Union troops. So um, I would say that the folks that settled in comfort were um, marching to the beat of their own drum <laughs> and to some degree still do because that is a, a big factor in why they did not want to be a part of this redevelopment initiative that Kerrville benefited from and Fredericksburg benefited from. And um, they, they were fine. And they really just wanted to be left alone to, to have their ranches, make their money, raise their families and um, not be bothered. Let's turn to some of your books or actually all of the books, but uh, it's entitled uh, on your website, a group of stories from comfort. It's comfort planes, comfort songs, comfort foods, comfort zone, a comfort Christmas novella. How do you incorporate <laughs> a town as a character? Oh, and comfort has definitely become one of the main characters in these books. So I've spent a lot of time in comfort um, over the years. And I, the thing that appealed to me was this gritty limestone community that had not changed much over all the years. I mean, they didn't even have a franchise, of, you know, fast food restaurant short of Dairy Queen for so many years. And I thought a town that did not want to redevelop seemed like the perfect foil for writing books about characters who did want to redevelop and they needed to find their grit to overcome obstacles in life. And so that contrast of a town that was so um, resistant to change and yet gave birth to people changing was, was a great opportunity for me. And so from the very first um, novel that I wrote, which ironically was for um, a website back in the day when websites were brand new and I'd been hired to write a serial story just to help draw customers back to this website, I, I wrote this little 10 chapter installment called Emeralds Marks the Spot about a woman walking away from her career and settling in the comfort area and you know, taking off and having this great story. Well, that became my, my seed story for all of these other novels. And I give it away for free to folks who subscribe to the, to my website where I send out occasional newsletters about, you know, book events and that sort of thing. But, uh, that gave birth to these stories. And so comfort plans was my first full length novel that I wrote, uh, setting it in the comfort area. And it's about one of those iconic, German farmhouses, as you might imagine, with a story to tell. And so the story, not to be a spoiler or anything, but the story that gets told is a slice of life from what it was like for those early migrants to the comfort area, um, you know, back in the mid 1800s. And um, then the house is being refashioned for a modern family. And so you kind of got this juxtaposition of of history and, and modern life. And then the people that are doing the remodeling are actually those that kind of get remodeled in the process themselves. So that was book one. I had so much fun with that. It, it resonated well. The folks of comfort didn't like blackball me for this. And so I thought, okay, I can keep writing. So I wrote comfort songs, um, which is as you, so you're from the hill country and you've seen all those gorgeous lavender farms around Blanco. And I thought, well, if it grows in Blanco, it would probably grow outside of comfort. So Comfort Songs is about the story of a woman who writes a, creates a business around a lavender farm and family dynamics and 
um, really sort of the juxtaposition of three generations of women who can't get along with each other and why that is. Um, and so a lot of those family dynamics are explored in that story. And then comfort, um, uh, uh, foods. <laughs> I had to think from what the next one was. Is a kind of a rip from the headline story of a, an Instagrammer who fails spectacularly and goes back to comfort because she has a family member that lives there and she kind of gets involved in the local newspaper, uh, which I borrowed from the streets of comfort, the comfort news, and uh, had my character sort of take over the newspaper and, and grow with it. And then lastly was comfort zone. Um, which is about the story of a woman who, whose car breaks down on I-10 as she's running away from her past and she's out of money and resources and decides to hide herself in comfort, much like those German immigrants did all those years ago. And so one of the things that's interesting in, in making the town a character is that uh, I have the privilege of doing honor to the actual town by having my characters shop in the shops that are that anybody could walk into, and then also creating a fictionalized version of, of these imagined places that I've created in my books. So I go back to comfort every time I have a new book to release. The library's been fantastic to me in hosting me for various events. I've got very good friends that run the 8th Street Market uh, on, you might have guessed, 8th Street in comfort. And they're always inviting me in for book events. And as a as a thank you to them, of course, my characters would, would shop at the 8th Street Market. And they eat at the High Street Cafe. And and um, so I think that's what's been fun for the folks that live around the comfort area who read the books is to see their town. Maybe it's a little bit better than actuality, or maybe they think it looks just the very same as they see it every day. But it's a real pleasure to me to, to introduce people to that part of Texas. And the book has gone um, really kind of all over the place into surprising locations. And I hear from readers who said frequently they had no idea that Texas even had this type of geography and history and that that experience was a part of Texas. Because, of course, as you well know, most people who don't live here think that Texas is either Houston, Dallas, or El Paso, and they don't understand all the, the nuances in between. Um, and as you well know, the Hill Country is very nuanced. So it gives me a lot of fun to to make comfort a part of all these books. And I, I actually have a new trilogy that's just come out uh, about one character with a three-book story arc. And uh, she's a woman of a certain age and uh, kind of gets into some sleuthing. Uh, she becomes an accidental sleuth uh, through the course of the story. So it'll be interesting to find out what the comfort residents think about uh, murder and mayhem in their town, but I think they'll be up for it. I think they can handle it. Has that book been released? So the first book in the trilogy has, it came out in February, it's called Sweet Comfort. Okay. And, uh, and then Finding Comfort is in the works and that'll be followed up with um, the final book in that trilogy, which will be called Home to Comfort. Well, the subtitle is Love, Murder, and a Box of Chocolates. So <laughs> I'm sold. Um, Kimberly, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. But if our listeners wanted more information on yourself or really any of your books, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Oh, well, I would love for them to find me at my website, which is KimberlyFish.com. 
but I'm most active on the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, I'm at Kimberly Fish, comma, author, or on Instagram at fish underscore writer. And I frequently post pictures about my travels, things that inspire my writing, and just little snippets into the writer's life that I've been able to enjoy. Well, Kimberly, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. You've asked great questions. I've enjoyed the conversation. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hill Country Authors Podcast. If you have a book or are an author and like to come on my podcast, please let me know. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. The Hill Country Authors Podcast is available on the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. And where all great podcasts are played.